Hi everyone, and welcome to church. Today we're gonna to be going through a new series. We're gonna start a new series called Big Butts of the Bible. And in this series, we're gonna be talking about the idea of uh, we are living this way, this is the way we should be living, or this happened, but then this happened. And so in this series, we're really excited to talk about how God views us and how we can better live like he wants us to live. And so today we're gonna to be starting with Romans chapter 12. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're just going to read the entire uh, chapter. And it says this, he says, Paul speaking, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same uh, function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in <clears throat> hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, and do not let your mind on high do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay the Lord. Uh, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for all of the things that we find in your word that help us to change how we live to be more like you. We pray that through this time that we have together that we would learn how to be more like Christ and therefore that we grow closer to you and closer to your will for us. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So we see in this passage that Paul is exhorting believers to pursue holiness and not fleshly lusts. There is a contrast between what we, uh, what we were, what we are, and what we are to become in the future. Um, and what we are becoming even now. And that changes or should change our entire being into something new. And so we're gonna be talking today about that new being, that new person that we are when we uh, change our mind from the old things to the new things. And so first we wanna talk about what those old things were 
what those old things are, what we were. Romans uh, 11, so just the previous chapter, gives us a great example of what we were, and it bears reading. So bear with me. We're going to read a little bit more in Romans chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 30. And it says, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet you you yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or what has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This section is a huge crescendo into how we were once hopeless, and now we can be filled with the hope through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. Paul is referencing the Jews when he says, you know, their disobedience has provided a way for us to obtain the mercy. He's talking about the Jews' disobedience in the Old Testament. Now has, has, uh, they have rejected the cornerstone of faith, Jesus Christ, and now Jesus Christ's grace and mercy is open to us as Gentile believers. And through that, even God will redeem them again and bring them back to him. So we see this huge crescendo. Even at the end, we see at the end of chapter 11 that, that he is almost just in a celebration of this idea of the hope that we now have because of Jewish disobedience that has led into the opportunity for Gentiles to come to Jesus. And, uh, and so we see this rejoicing almost of, of Paul that at the end there in verse 36, uh, to be all, you know, all the glory to, to him and through him. And it's just this excitement that Paul has where he's saying, we get to do this and we are getting to take part in this. And it leads into chapter 12, where he starts talking about the, this classic example of because of this, now this. And so we see that in the beginning of chapter 12, and it's how we react to God's word and his gift of salvation. You see, there's a requirement on us. Now, our salvation is not based on works, but it is proven by our works. We, we show proof of our salvation through our works, and so it's important that we do that. And so it's important to know kind of what we were again and, and what the, these old works were that we're dying to now. And so if you would turn your, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, uh, starting in verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And you see again, even in these, these few verses, you see this, you were this, but... Now you are this. There's that big but again. And we see that in verse 2 of chapter 12 in Romans. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so it's this idea that you once were this, 
Now you are this. And so that is where the big transition and the contrast happens. We were lost in our sins and our trespasses, and there was no hope for us to experience the glory of God, to experience the peace and the love and the mercy of God. There was no hope for those things until Christ died on the cross. As soon as he paid that price, as soon as he sacrificed himself and opened uh, the Holy of Holies, as it were, to all peoples, now we have the opportunity to take part in that. And our hope can be renewed that we will be with him, that we will experience life with him, that we can have him with us. And it's not because what we have done, as Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, but because of his sacrifice. It's not so that we can boast about how great we are because God loves us. We are so great. That's kind of a a language that happens nowadays. It's not about that. It's about his glorification, him showing how utterly hopeless we were without him. But with him, we now have been made into a new creation. It is because of that that we now live a life that glorifies him, that we die to ourselves and we humbly seek him and we humbly serve him. It's because of God's riches of wisdom and knowledge and because of his unsearchable judgments and his ways that cannot be found out, he deserves the glory. And so a lot of people at this point, we should be asking the questions, how do we give him glory? How do we do this? And the answer to that is it lies in chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. And I'm just going to read them again. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of this, because of the, because of the fact that we have this opportunity, because we have this opportunity to glorify God, because the Jews have rejected Jesus Christ, and that opened the door for the Gentiles to be accepted into his salvation. Because of that, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In these verses, we see that because God deserves to be glorified and is jealous for that glorification, we have a a responsibility to change. We have a responsibility to now conform to his will, not our own will. It is our reasonable service and it requires change and change requires in this context, it requires sacrifice. It requires us to deny ourselves, to, to deny what we want, to deny our thoughts, our opinions, our freedoms, our rights, all of those things. We are to deny those things and we are to follow God and his desire and his will. And, and these things require us to change. But through that change, through that sacrifice, we become holy and acceptable. We become that living sacrifice. We, we become not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so that kind of brings us to this, this transformative time. And, and we want to talk about now, we talked about what we were Now let's talk about what we are in Christ. Verse 2 warns us, verse 2 of chapter 12 here in Romans warns us of living in a prior state from what Christ has made us. The but is the turning point, the main point of the context to be living and transformed 
and to be pursuing that transformed Christian life. The but is the crux of everything here because you have, uh, do not be conformed to this world. So we know what this world looks like from that, fir- from that list in 1 Corinthians. We see what this world is. We see what people in this world take part in. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that but is the crux of everything here and it turns everything. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5, Uh, Verses 16 and 17. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it anyway. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed uh, uh, to us the world reconciliation, uh, the word of reconciliation. Sorry. We see this, we see this, uh, Renewal. We are a new creation. Again, Galatians uh, 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who saved me and gave himself for me. And that's so important. We are dead. When we come to Christ, uh, when I came to Christ, Andrew died. It is now Christ living in me. And so when I think about the things that I do sometimes, when I'm not in the right mind, when I'm not in the right state of mind, I can often fall away from what Christ would want me to be doing because I think that it's my life. I think that this life is about me. I think that that it's important that I get what I want and that people know how I feel. And, And these things, it's not that you should just be a doormat and just be quiet and and just suffer anything that anybody says you should suffer because you're a Christian. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying though is that when we come to Jesus, he then, I mean, we sacrifice our bodies as a living sacrifice. He comes and indwells with us and our actions, our words, our thoughts, our deeds, everything about us becomes Jesus Christ and centered around Jesus Christ. These verses show that And it shows that once a person comes to faith in Christ, they are made into something new because we were once this, now we are this, and and it's contrary to the world. It is not looking like the world, hoping that we can somehow marry the world and Christianity and we can be uh, rock stars and Christians or we can be, you know, addicted to sex and a Christian and we can do all these things and a Christian. You cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the word. It's just not possible. Well, okay, it is possible, but you're going to be miserable doing it because when you have the truth of Christ inside of you, when you know what the truth of God is and you decide to turn away from that, it destroys you way worse than if you had never known the truth at all. And so we cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the word. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means we have to practice self-control and the discipline of our minds. It means that we cannot just swear in our heads all the time, even swearing out loud. There are plenty of Christians who do it. And and guys, I'm not going to get on that soapbox because it's more of an opinion of mine, but I don't know how you marry swearing at someone or swearing about something or, or thinking those thoughts and and having Jesus control your life. 
Um, I, I don't know how you marry that. I'm not saying that it's something that you should be super, like I'm not condemning you if, if every once in a while you swear or whatever. I'm just saying we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we say things, when we think things, it, could, it should show us whether or not our mind is being transformed whether or not we are actually pursuing Jesus above all other things, or if we are pursuing our own desires above all, the, all other things. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 7 through 10, it says this, and I like the way that the ESV says it. Normally I'm a New King James guy. I like the way that the ESV says this a little bit more. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. We are to set everything, we are to strive towards Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes that requires complete change of life. Sometimes that requires little tweaks here and there. But either way, we should be pursuing them. Is it worth it to give up that relationship? Is it worth it to discipline yourself into not swearing? Is it worth it to give up alcohol? Is it worth it to, to stop watching hockey games or football games or baseball games or is it is it worth it to quit that job is it worth it to move across the country i'm not saying that you should do these things i'm just saying you need to ask yourself what is jesus worth to you what is his sacrifice worth to you and when we do that we start setting in our mind what it means to pursue christ and it changes our mind about the things of the world if you look at what's happening in the world, we see a callousness towards one another. We see a callousness towards, uh, I watch that show, but it's not a big deal. Uh, or I go to the bar, but it's not a big deal. Or whatever it may be, we, we make excuses because the truth is we are free in Christ. He has set us free. He has forgiven us for those sins. That's not untrue. But as Paul says in Romans earlier on, you know, where, where grace or where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And then he says right after that, does that mean we should continue on in our sin? And he says, let it be anathema or, or the Greek word is anathema. And it means let it be accursed. Let it be so far from our thinking that we should continue on in our sin because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of it. We need to turn away from that sin and run as far away from it as we can. We are striving to become more like Christ, and this takes place when we change our minds about our priorities and our desires. We must come to the place that we understand the seriousness of pursuing Christ. You see, we oftentimes think that it's not a big deal and we kind of saunter through and we, 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 we say things that make us feel better about our Christian faith, or we listen to Christian radio and there's a song that talks about how no matter what you've done, God loves you, and, and that's true. But we need to understand that there is a seriousness that comes with 
following Jesus Christ. There is a cost that we must pay. Like he says, we have to be willing to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. One that we die to ourselves. We don't continue doing what we want to do. We die to ourselves. That is the transforming. That is the renewing of our mind. That is what creates us into a new creation where people look at us and go, you're weird. (laughs) And believe me, there's plenty of weird Christians out there. Some of them in a good way, some of them in a not good way. But it is a dangerous thing when people start calling you a cool Christian. Because if if you've become cool in the eyes of the world, If you've become someone that they desire to hang out with uh, because you're cool with what they do or you're, you know, chill about it. I don't know what words kids are using nowadays, but whatever it is that that you may think, guys, that's that's a red flag for me. I don't want the world to think I look good. I want the world to think I look like Jesus and that should make them feel very uncomfortable. That should make them feel very not okay (laughs) because Jesus Christ in me is something it makes me live differently and the hope is is that they will desire that different life and that they will come to know that Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have so how do we do this is found how we how we become transformed even deeper is found in verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12 We see a laundry list here of let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil uh, for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is this laundry list here in verses 9 to 21 where we see exactly what it takes or exactly how to live that transformed life. When you go through this laundry list, it it covers almost every aspect of life. It covers almost every aspect of daily interaction with others as well as with yourself. And it should be a mind thing, not just an outward action thing, but how are you doing with this list? How are you personally um, loving without hypocrisy? How are you blessing those that persecute you and not cursing them? How are you preferring one another above one another? How are you, how are you uh, repaying evil with good? Those kinds of things should be on the forefront of our mind as we daily get transformed towards Jesus Christ and in a way that, that purifies our hearts and our minds into a way that we want to be pursuing after Jesus Christ and not pursuing after our own desires and our own less lusts of the flesh. And it is common to read these verses and we, we 
we are able to pick out specific traits that God wants us to work on and fine tune. There are, there are little things in this list that we kind of can pick up on and we know, okay, that one's me. Um, and we, we oftentimes will try and numb ourselves to that because we'll look at the rest of the list and be like, okay, yeah, I'm doing good on, on 90% of this list. And the other 10% grace. And, and it's not untrue. We do get grace. But I challenge you that if there's something in this list, as we read through this list, I challenge you to look at that list and say to yourself, what's the one that God is saying, I need you to work on? I need you to, I need you to fix this. I need you to change this and press into that. Don't allow yourself to numb your heart to the Holy Spirit's convictions. He desires you to be transformed and you transforming requires change and change requires sacrifice and sacrifice hurts. And so don't numb yourself to that pain. Understand that it's working for you a far more eternal weight of glory to paraphrase Paul. This list is what it takes to continue on the path towards godliness. And so we should be pursuing these things on this list on a daily basis. We should be looking at these things on this list. And if you have a spouse, how am I doing that with my spouse? If you have children, how am I doing that with my kids? How am I showing them the love of Christ through these things? And so we should be pursuing that and we should be passionately pursuing it in all seriousness. Because oftentimes our lack of seriousness is, is yeah, but God has grace. And, and he does. Again, I'm not saying he doesn't. But God having grace doesn't give you the excuse to go off and do whatever you want. God having grace for your, your shortcomings, yes, it is fantastic and it is a gift. But that doesn't mean that you use that grace to do what you want now. It means that you, you, you allow that grace to change you. And so, so that is very important that we, we go forward knowing that this list should be on the forefront of our minds. So we talked about where we uh, were, where we kind of currently are, and now finally we want to talk about where we are going. Uh, because there is a purpose in this and many, many people will wander, or sorry, <laughs> my notes. Many people will wonder what's the big deal if I'm not perfect. And, and that's true, we can't be perfect, no one is perfect, but I want to be clear about that, that no one can be perfect here on this earth. Um, grace is, a, is, a, is an amazing thing. There's a reason why the song is called Amazing Grace. It is not good, it is not great, it is amazing. And maybe awesome is, a, is another word. Um, on top of all that, if we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it, he, Jesus speaking gives us the best why answer to why is it important that I, that I strive to be a better Christian? Why is it important that I read my Bible? Why is it important that I pursue godly things? Why is it important that I die to myself and sacrifice my lusts or my desires so that God can take place and he can live through me? Why, why is that all important? Well, Matthew 7 Verses 21 through 23 give us the best why that I think you can find. Jesus is speaking and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. You see, we, we think that when we say a prayer when we're eight years old and get baptized, we're good. Uh, we're fine. We don't need to do anything. God, I've met my requirements. Now God has to keep his promise. You see, I think that there are many Christians today. In fact, I would say that there's a lot of Christians today who will stand before God one day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not do amazing works for you? Did we not have the biggest church on the corner? Did we not reach the city for the most people? Did we not have the most baptisms or the most um, conversions at the, at the community outreach that we did? Did we not do all of those things in your name? And I think Jesus, probably with tears in his eyes, will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, there's this thought that we can coast through our Christian walk. We can say the prayer, we can then live however we want to live, and God will be cool with it. Let me caution you with that. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm not going to judge your salvation in that. But if your priorities are not Jesus Christ, I am not entirely sure that biblically speaking, we see a justified person in their own in their own justification, in their own salvation, uh, getting into heaven. In fact, I guarantee you, you won't find that here. We need to be pressing into him on a daily basis. This Christian walk comes at a cost. It may, it may mean that you can't do hockey on a Sunday. It may mean that you can't go to that concert that all your friends are going to. It may mean that you can't go hang out with certain friends that you love. Because his following him is got to be the most important thing. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. And Jesus here in Matthew 7 is giving us a warning. And it's a, it's a, it's a sobering warning as well. That we cannot just coast into heaven. We see earlier in this chapter that Jesus is serious about what it means to follow him. In verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. I think that that, again, is a humbling, sobering statement when we think about it. There are many who find the way to destruction, and there are few who find the way to life. And not only that, this way, this narrow gate, is difficult. It is hard. It is not a coast. It is not all easy. And there requires education. It requires opening up a Bible and reading. It requires spending time in your prayer closet on your knees praying more than three minutes in the morning on your way to work as you're swearing at people <laughs> as they cut you off. It requires more than just worshiping and, 
and singing a song that emotionally touches your heart. It's more than that. It is sacrifice. It is difficult. And Jesus was not ashamed or scared to talk about the difficulty that it was to get into heaven. And not only that, he wasn't scared to say, there are going to be a lot of people who stand before me in that day. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That should cause all of us to re-examine our Christian walk. How are we walking? What we do in our free time, how we act in our free time, tells a lot about what's most important to us. It shows us what is most important to us. It should always be the most important thing to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, am I saying that you can't glorify Jesus Christ through um, a hockey game? No, I'm not saying that. It is possible. It is possible to glorify Jesus Christ through hanging out with friends. It's possible to glorify Jesus Christ through even watching a movie or whatever. Paul even says, let us everything we do be glorifying to Christ as unto the Lord. Let anything you do, whether it be work or play or anything in between, let it be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and so everything we do can glorify Jesus. And so I don't want you to think that I'm telling you uh, sports bad, Jesus good. I'm telling you Jesus great, sports, as long as they're within the context of what Jesus Christ says is okay for you, sports are okay. Um, and so make sure that we are filtering, though, everything through Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that in the past where I don't filter my opinions and my thoughts and my desires. I don't filter uh, the Bible through my opinions and my thoughts and my desires. I filter my opinions and thoughts and desires through the Bible. Uh, and so what we need to do is we should not be concerned about this world as far as our status in it. We should not be, we, we should not be conformed. As, as Romans 12 says, we should not be conformed to this world. We should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We should not look like this world. We should not act like this world. We should not pursue the things that this world pursues. The quote-unquote American dream, maybe it's the Canadian dream, I don't know what the Canadian dream is, but whatever that may be, a house with a white picket fence and a dog and three kids and two cars and seven TVs and two iPads, whatever. Those are not the things that we pursue. We pursue Jesus Christ. And following him means that we turn from the world and we follow him. Following Christ requires, you guessed it, following. Which means we humbly accept that I don't get my way all of the time. Our personal lives outside of a Sunday morning need to be conformed to him, need to be focused on him. Sunday morning, it's easy to look like a Christian because we're all in church or, you know, all of us that, that want to be in church are in church. It's easy to look like that. Everything that we say and do in between Sundays should be glorifying Jesus Christ. It should be reflecting 
Jesus Christ. It should be focused on Jesus Christ. Everything, everything, everything. I cannot stress that word enough. All of what we do should be glorifying Jesus Christ. And that word all is quite inclusive. It means everything. Everything should bring glory to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is possible that you have tried the world's, world's answers to this life, even as a Christian. It's possible that you have pursued money. It's possible that you have pursued drugs or sex or rock and roll or, or fame or whatever. It's possible to have done that and come out the other end and realize that you were wanting that you were empty still, that you were desiring something more. Can I tell you, even Christians, and I'm, I'm talking to everybody right now, even Christians try these things. They, they try to live their life and, and live their best life and all these kinds of things. Die to all of that. Confess your sins. Confess this, the fact that you have not been pursuing Jesus Christ like you should have been. Confess the fact that you need to pursue Christ above all things and you haven't been doing that. Confess that. Go to Him. Lay it at His feet and say, I don't want to be this anymore. I want to be conformed and transformed by the renewing of my mind. And guess what? He will do that. He will transform you. You will become a new creation. You will become made whole. Maybe not completely in this life. And again, there won't be any perfect people in this life. It'll, it'll happen when you take your last breath here on this earth. But when that happens, if you've pursued Jesus Christ, if you have, if you have sacrificed your life to His cause, to His desires, to His will, then I, I'm pretty sure based on the Bible that you won't hear depart from me for I never knew you. You'll hear the most beautiful words that I think God could ever utter to us or Jesus Christ could ever utter to us, which is well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. That is how we should be living our Christian lives and that is how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are able to transform us. You are able to, to renew us and make us into something new. Because honestly, Lord, these bodies, physical, spiritual, mental, whatever, are a mess. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by you. I pray that we would give up, even in my own personal life, Lord, I pray that I would give up my desires, that I would give up my lusts, that I would give up my thoughts of opinions and, and my claim to anything, Lord. I pray that you would take that from me. And I pray for the people who are listening to this message that they would do the same. That we would desire to follow after you and that we would pursue you with everything that is in us. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for your sacrifice and for your ability to save us. In your name we pray. Amen.